The following is a sermon preached at the First Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi. Amen. Please be seated. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the first chapter of Acts. You can find that on page 909 in your pew Bibles. You know, everybody knows how a tale of two cities begins. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was a season of light, it was a season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair, we had everything before us, we had nothing before us. Those are some of the most famous opening lines in all of literature, and it sounds a little something like the book of Acts. Because what can be said about the days following Jesus' death and resurrection? What can be said about the days following his ascension into heaven and the waiting until his return? What was it like? Well, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Nothing had changed, and everything had changed. It was all new, And yet, at the same time, it was all very old, ancient even. And so how do you make sense of these disorienting events that we find at the beginning of the book of Acts? Well, that's that's what the book is here for. It's to show us God's hand in all of those things. And back in April, we, we finished studying through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday nights. And this fall, we are going to take up the second part. We're going to take up the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, which is the book of Acts. And tonight we'll begin with Acts chapter 1. And what what we'll see is that Jesus isn't finished. Jesus isn't finished carrying out his work of salvation. Jesus isn't finished establishing his kingdom. Jesus isn't finished ministering to his people. And that matters. That matters for how we do ministry. That matters for how we apply the gospel to our own lives. We need to see what Jesus is up to. And as we do that from Acts chapter 1 tonight, we'll see two things, two parts of this passage. One, going to Rome, and then secondly, beginning from Jerusalem. Going to Rome and beginning from from Jerusalem. Before we read God's word, let's pray and ask his help to give us understanding. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that as we gather and open up your word tonight, that we can have a confidence that Jesus isn't finished and that he speaks through his word tonight. Would you give us ears to hear? Give us minds to understand, hearts to to grasp and to love and to delight and to apply your word to our lives that we would live out all these things for your glory. We need your spirit. And so we pray for your spirit's help tonight. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. In some ways, the book of Acts begins where it ends. It begins where it ends, because it begins with Theophilus. You remember Theophilus, don't you? Theophilus was the one who was addressed at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1 verse 3 says, It seemed good to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things 
that you have been taught? Theophilus. Theophilus was the recipient. Maybe he was even the patron or the benefactor of Luke writing the gospel and this book of Acts. And he apparently was a person of some means, of some level of prestige. And he was a Gentile. Theophilus's name is a Greek name. He was most likely a member of the Roman Empire. And Acts chapter 1 says, In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, the, the book of Luke is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, the book of Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do and teach. All that he continued to do and teach through his apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the ongoing ministry of Jesus. What do we find? We find it right here at the very beginning of the book of Acts is that the ministry of Jesus has reached the Gentile world. It has made it all the way to Theophilus. In fact, that's the trajectory of the whole book of Acts. Acts is moving in that direction because in the last chapter of this book, in the last few verses, in fact, we find that Paul is in Rome, and what is he doing in Rome? It says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, the gospel made it to Rome. And yet even then, Rome wasn't the final destination. Rome was not the end point because the message about Jesus kept going. It was unhindered. That's the story of the book of Acts. And Theophilus, right here in chapter 1, verse 1, is a foreshadowing of what is to come. The rest of this book is going to tell the story about how the message about Jesus reached people like Theophilus. In fact, it's often said that chapter 1, verse 8 is a something of a summary statement or even an outline for the entire book. If you look at verse 8, it says, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, you see, had spent 40 days after his resurrection. He was speaking with his disciples about the kingdom of God, but really the whole time that he was with them had been about the kingdom of God. You see, when he healed the sick, when he, for, when, he, when he, uh, fed the hungry, when he forgave sin, when he cast out demons, all of that was about the kingdom of God. And all of his miracles, all of his teaching, the parables, and especially his death and his resurrection was about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God had broken into time and space in a dramatic way in the coming of Jesus Christ. And now the question was, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now maybe Jesus' disciples were asking 
about a political or a territorial kingdom, something along the lines of Rome versus Israel. But the kingdom, you see, that Jesus had been teaching about, the kingdom that Jesus had been teaching them about, is a kingdom not of this world. It's a kingdom of light overcoming darkness. It's a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. It's a kingdom that knows no end in which the king dwells among his people. There, and God says to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? John Calvin says about that question that, that there are as many problems in that question as there are words. And yet I'm not so sure. Because notice the disciples' question. They are approaching Jesus as Lord. They call him Lord. And they are asking about the kingdom which he has been teaching to them. And even when he talks about it when, he, when they ask about him restoring it to Israel, there is a sense in which the, this chapter is telling us about a restored Israel, the Israel of God, that here in Judas' absence, in Judas' departure, his death, there are 11 disciples, and they must add a 12th. They add Matthias. That number 12 is significant, isn't it? And this is a restored Israel that Jesus is bringing about after his resurrection and his ascension. And so I'm not sure how off base they are. I'm not sure that they knew exactly what they were asking, but you notice that Jesus doesn't say no to their question. He just says that their timing is not God's timing. And he says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And he tells them how the kingdom will come. Look at verse 8 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, we find the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then the next five or six chapters are about what happens in Jerusalem. And then from there, the focus shifts to Judea and then to Samaria. And then over half of the book of Acts is about Paul and about his three missionary journeys and about his eventual arrival as a prisoner in Rome with the gospel. That's the order of events in this book. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God includes the whole world includes the whole world. I heard a, an interview recently with a man who had written a book about trails after he himself hiked the Appalachian Trail from beginning to end, from Georgia to Maine. And you know about the Appalachian Trail, it's a, it's a, a long trail, it's 2,198 miles long. It runs from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount Katahdin in Maine, and it follows the spine of the Appalachian Mountains. It took this man around five months to hike it from start to finish, and what he said is that when he finished the trail, he felt sad. And he says he approached the end, he, he began to be nervous, even paranoid almost, 
that he wasn't going to make it to the end. He just wanted to reach his goal. He just wanted to make it to the end. And then he said when he made it to the end, he says you get there and you realize that there's no more trail. And you've come to the end. There's a sadness to that. And he had this feeling that he wished he could just keep on going. Well, here we are at the beginning of the book of Acts. And Jesus has been raised from the dead, and almost nothing has changed. And Jesus is about to be taken away from his disciples. They were not going to see him anymore. In fact, verse 9 says, When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus was gone. But his ministry kept going. And the kingdom of God kept on advancing. And it would spread with power. And it would cross over boundaries of politics and culture and ethnicity and economics and religious background. The kingdom would go to the ends of the earth. How? Was it through military strategy? Was it through political power? Was it through a marketing campaign? No. How did the kingdom advance in the book of Acts? It was with words, through speaking, through preaching, through teaching, by telling other people about Jesus. In other words, it was by being a witness. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says in verse 8. Verse 22, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now again, was that preaching and teaching and witnessing through those who were well-trained, seminary-educated, and had it all figured out? No. It was through fishermen, like Peter and John and James and Andrew. It was through doubters like Thomas. It was with tax collectors like Matthew and revolutionaries like Simon. It was through the unnamed women that we find in verse 14 and tent makers like Priscilla and Aquila and Paul and don't forget a physician like Luke. They were people like the people who were gathered here in the pews tonight. And sure there was something of a, a there was a uniqueness to these apostles, to these 12. Uh, they were the, the apostles whom Jesus had chosen. They had been with him from his baptism all the way to his ascension. They were, they were granted the ability to work wonders and signs like Jesus had done. But why? It was to bring verification and validity to their message. And oftentimes the miracles that they worked introduced the message and the message interpreted the miracles so that they could be rightly understood. It was about the message. And what we find in the book of Acts, and really we find this throughout the New Testament, is that the word of God grew and spread and prospered wherever Christ's people went. And the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of his word, was the ministry of the whole church. You see, Jesus' ministry kept going, and the word went out. Why do we need the book of Acts? We need the book of Acts to remember not to stay still and not to grow complacent. 
Dennis Johnson, in his study on the book of Acts, he, he begins it with a scenario that churches all too often find themselves. He says, he writes this, churches drift off to sleep, small groups turn in on themselves, Bible studies and Sunday school classes tread predictable time-worn paths, worship becomes routine, witnessing becomes the work of specialists, and compassion Let's see, I have an hour open next Thursday. When familiarity breeds complacency, when good order calcifies into rigid regularity, then people who love Jesus sense that something is amiss. In particular, when our zeal flags and our focus blurs, we need to listen to Luke. As he recounts the Spirit's acts and the Spirit's words, we need the acts of the apostles. You see, The book of Acts has a way of confronting us with one of those principles of the Reformation, semper reformanda, always reforming, always focusing back on Jesus, always relying again on the Holy Spirit, always living right now for the kingdom of God, always being a witness. And see, today we began a new teaching theme, didn't we? for our church for this coming year. A lamp to our feet, knowing and loving God's Word. Knowing and loving the Word of God. Well, as we come to the book of Acts, let's not forget that a major part of knowing and loving God's Word is not keeping it to ourselves. And a major part of knowing and loving God's Word is knowing it and loving it in order to be able to tell other people about it. To be able to tell people about Jesus and to be able to tell them what He has done. There was a book written several years ago called God's Big Picture, and it's a a basic, simple summary of the Bible's storyline. And the writer outlines the Bible's storyline in this way. says, in the Old Testament... It's the pattern of the kingdom, the perished kingdom, the promised kingdom, the partial kingdom, and the prophesied kingdom. And then when you get to the New Testament, it's the present kingdom, and the proclaimed kingdom, and the perfected kingdom. Now that's a lot of P words to keep up with, but what the the point is, is that it's about the kingdom. God's word is about God's kingdom. And Jesus In these verses, we find him speaking to his disciples, to the apostles, about the kingdom of God, and then he sent them out. As we devote ourselves to God's word and give our attention to knowing and loving God's word, we know and love the kingdom of God. We learn about the kingdom of God, and then Jesus sends us out. And one thing we can't miss from the book of Acts is that the word goes out. It's on the move. And if we're going to be true to our calling, if we're going to be true to our calling as Christ's disciples, if we're going to be true to our calling as a church, then we can't lose focus on getting the word out. Be a witness. That's our call. Be a witness. And not just in how you live your life, but in what you say. In what you say to others, what you say to your children, what you say to your neighbors, what you say to your co-workers, what you say to whomever, God gives you opportunity. I have no doubt that if we share our lives with others and if we give our time to them and listen sincerely and compassionately, 
then God will give us opportunities to speak a word about Jesus or to speak a word of comfort that we find from his word into their lives as well. If only we would remember and recognize that Jesus sends us. He sends us out. The word goes out. Be a witness. But then notice, notice the first place that Jesus sends his apostles. Where does he send them? He sends them to Jerusalem. And so we've seen going to Rome. Now let's think about beginning from Jerusalem. I was reading somewhere recently about the anticipation in the late 90s of the release of the first prequel uh, of the Star Wars trilogies, the, the original Star Wars trilogy. It, it had been 15 years since the last Star Wars movie had come out. And there were reports of people who would buy tickets to random movies just to watch the trailer for the new Star Wars movie. They wouldn't even stay to watch the movie. They would just buy the ticket, watch the trailer, and then leave. It was crazy. There was this pre-release anticipation like nothing else anybody had ever seen before. People were beyond excited about this prequel. And then the movie came out. <laughs> and whether it was the script or the acting or Jar Jar Binks, it was not good. And people quickly realized, it, it turns out, that it would, it would have been better if there had been no prequel at all. Now, it did make over a billion dollars, so there's that, but you get what I mean. That's not the case with the book of Acts. That's not the case with Luke and Acts. We need the prequel and the sequel. We need the gospel in order to understand and apply the message of Acts. And I've already said that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is something of a summary for this book. We can also find something of a summary of this book with what Jesus says back in Luke chapter 24. And he gives us a summary of Luke and Acts in chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. Jesus says, Thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel of Luke. And then he says in verse 47 that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And that's the book of Acts. Repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance and forgiveness. And what we will find in these opening chapters of the book of Acts is that the apostles' message is about Jesus. And it's about the resurrection. And it's about forgiveness. You see, the meaning of the cross and the resurrection is that Jesus suffered and died to take the wrath of God. Jesus suffered and died to atone for sin, to pay the penalty that our sin deserves, and to, to defeat sin and death by his resurrection, and to forgive sin, to forgive sinners. You see, the message of the gospel, the message of Acts, is that there is forgiveness of sin for all those who trust in Christ for salvation. Now listen again to that summary of the book of Acts. 
that forgiveness of sins is to, to be proclaimed where? To all nations, yes. But beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning from Jerusalem. What had just happened in Jerusalem? It was a little over 40 days before. And Jesus had been arrested. And Jesus had been beaten and mocked and treated with contempt. He had been nailed to a cross where he suffered the worst kind of humiliation. It was there that he suffered the worst kind of anguish. And he died. Jesus was executed. He was murdered at the hands of the men in Jerusalem. And the crowds there demanded his crucifixion. And now where does Jesus send his apostles first with the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins? To Jerusalem. He sends them to Jerusalem. What is the meaning of the cross and the resurrection? It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness for the people of Jerusalem if they would turn and trust in Jesus. Do you see God's mercy in Acts chapter 1? Do you see Christ's love for hopeless sinners in Acts chapter 1? The first place that he goes as he continues his ministry through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit is to the very people who had rejected and crushed him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And so could you really think that you are beyond the reach of God's mercy? And could you really think that you have done something so egregious that Jesus has no room for you in his mercy and forgiveness? Can you? When what we find in these verses is that he extends his mercy, he extends his grace, he extends his forgiveness to those who put him to death. By the way, that's who we all are. It was our sin that put Jesus there. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And he offers his forgiveness to us. You see, his grace is that shocking. And it's on offer there for you. It's open to all who would receive it simply by trusting in him by faith. Now, what do you do with that? What do you do with that kind of forgiveness? If you've received that kind of forgiveness, what do you do with it? Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to ask for forgiveness? That's hard to do, isn't it? None of us are very good at it. I was thinking about it with the, with the children as they came down uh, tonight and how, how sweet and cute they all are. And to think that one day there will be something which some of you will have to forgive them for, which seems almost impossible to do. There's something that they will need to forgive you for someday down the road. It's hard to think about it, but it's true. We all struggle to to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. But you know what? It all starts right here. It all starts in knowing and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. His forgiveness is so much bigger than we realize. 
so much greater is his grace that it sets us free to be able to ask for forgiveness when we need to ask for forgiveness. It sets us free to grant grace to those who need forgiveness in our lives. Repentance and forgiveness to all nations, but beginning in Jerusalem. I was talking with someone recently about our mutual respect for Dr. John Perkins. Uh, some of you may, may know who John Perkins is. Um, he's been involved in ministry for many years in the Jackson area. I think he's pretty under, underappreciated. But one, one day I was, uh, I was visiting a church member at Lakeland Nursing Home. And I was walking through the hallways. I saw uh, on, uh, the name on the wall for Vera Mae Perkins, Dr. Perkins' wife. And so I, I just stepped in there and I introduced myself to her and, we, and I prayed for her. And when I opened my eyes, Dr. Perkins was standing there next to me. And so I got a chance to, to talk with him and to spend a little bit of time with him. And I, I really treasured that time. But if you know Dr. Perkins' story, it was one in where he received much mistreatment and hate here in his home state. And so he left and he went to California. And he found a sense of, of freedom there in California. But he became a Christian while he was in California. And he realized that he held a lot of bitterness and hate and unforgiveness in his own heart. And he felt called to come back to Mississippi. And he came back and he's been ministering in difficult places for decades uh, here in the Jackson area. And he said in, in one of his books that he, his fleshly desire, that 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 ability to forgive is, it comes from nothing within himself. That he has a fleshly desire for revenge. And yet that God also gives a supernatural grace of forgiveness. Where does that supernatural grace of forgiveness come from? It comes from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So how will Jesus, how will his acts and teachings continue among us? How will Jesus' acts and teaching as we read through the book of Acts, how will it extend to break down the barriers of Jew and Gentile? How will it go from, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the end of the earth? How will Jesus' ministry continue and go out with, between black and white, rich and poor? How will it go out even with those who are closest to us who need our forgiveness and reconciliation? It's because Jesus bled and died. And he was raised from the dead. And he gave his Holy Spirit so that his ministry might continue. And so as we take up the book of Acts, as we leave from here tonight, how will we go out into this week to come taking up the ministry of Jesus in what we say and how we love others? Let's pray. Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your for your help and for your guidance by your spirit. We thank you for the great gift of forgiveness, for the freedom that you give to us. Help us to live those things and apply those things in our own lives for your glory, that your kingdom would advance here in Jackson, in our neighborhood, in our communities, and around the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.